1: Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is NaplesIllustrated.com. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Bob Levy. Bob is a constitutional scholar. He's also the chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll continue our discussion about whether the modern Supreme Court has subverted the Constitution with uh, modern cases. We'll be focusing mainly on national security and our civil liberties. We'll visit with Andrew Joppa, professor at Mercy College and author of Josephus of Oz, and, and the, Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of so many books. Uh, we'll talk about uh, the coronavirus and climate change, how those two meld in certain people's minds. It is May the 6th, and on this day in 1942, U.S. Lieutenant General Jonathan Wainwright surrendered all U.S. troops in the Philippines to the Japanese. Uh, The island of Corregidor remained the last allied stronghold in the Philippines after the Japanese victory at Bataan, after which uh, General Wainwright had managed to flee to Corregidor. Uh, Constant artillery shelling and aerial bombardment attacks ate away at the American and Filipino defenders, although still managing to sink many Japanese barges. As they approached the northern shores of the island, the Allied troops could not hold off the invaders any longer. General Wainwright, only recently promoted to the rank of lieutenant general and commander of U.S. armed forces in the Philippines, offered to surrender to the Japanese general. But uh, he wanted, the general wanted, the, the complete unconditional capitulation of all U.S. forces throughout the Philippines. Wainwright had little choice but to given the odds against him and the poor physical condition of his troops. He'd already lost 800 men. He surrendered at midnight. All 11,500 surviving Allied troops were evacuated to a prison stockade in uh, Manila. Uh, General Wainwright remained a POW until 1945 as a sort of consolation for the massive defeat he suffered. He was president in the U.S. Missouri for the formal Japanese surrender ceremony on September 2, 1945. He would be awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor by President Harry S. Truman. He died in 1953, exactly eight years to the day of the Japanese surrender ceremony. So interesting, on this day, surrendering. Uh, in the Philippines. Well, Cayo has confirmed positive cases to increase. Now, coronavirus is up to 656 with 25 deaths. The three additional deaths uh, in this past 24 hours was a 75-year-old man whose case was counted by the state on April the 24th, Uh, an 85-year-old woman whose case was counted on April the 29th, and an 83-year-old man whose case was counted on May the 3rd. All reported to have contact with a confirmed case. 111 people now have been hospitalized, although many have been released. The U.S. states on uh, Monday recorded the lowest one-day tally of coronavirus illness and fatalities in the last month, according to a widely cited Baltimore-based John Hopkins University's coronavirus tracker. The highly contagious and deadly virus infected uh, 1,193,000 folks. And uh, that, of course, the official number, I would guess, would be at least 80 times that because they don't know officially how many people really have the coronavirus. And we'll talk about that in a moment. And killed 70,272, probably much less than that because uh, coroners are putting COVID-19 on death certificates pretty liberally. And in many cases, we know without reason. In my opinion, uh, public health officials are in in on peddling the uh, fear pandemic, probably not malicious. You know, where you stand on any issue depends on where you sit around the table. But it's very compatible with their role in public health of basically saying, in so many ways, just be careful. Here's what I think we've learned about this uh, coronavirus or or COVID-19. It may be contagious, but equally it may not because the asymptomatic cases uh, bias the data over reporting contagion, but contagious or not, it's not very lethal, except on, on a tiny percentage of the population. Most of those who die will be old with certain medical conditions, the rest will not. That's sad, but given the mortality rate, it's not indicative of a global crisis. The vulnerable can be protected by isolation until a vaccine is found. The rest of the population do not need such protection. It is therefore insane, in my opinion, to shut down an economy when 99% plus of the population will not die, and most will not even know they've had it uh, when the economic consequences are so severe. The shutdown will cause more deaths than COVID-19 ever will. Uh, So... uh, these are my thoughts, of course, and my opinions, but I think they've been substantiated by all the things that I've uh, read. And when I think about the people that are dying, it's mainly those who have uh, compromised immune systems, and people who, once they contract the disease, it uh, shuts down or or, or uh, serves to uh, well contributes to their death. Governor Ron DeSantis announced Tuesday that antibody testing should be available at, at state drive-through testing sites and hospitals to find out if people have COVID-19 but didn't know it. Antibody testing is finally here, he said in a news conference yesterday. It was up in Sarasota. The test would be available at a drive-through COVID-19 testing site scattered across the state. Antibody tests will also go, uh, go to hospitals where it's need needed in order to learn if healthcare workers have been or developed a resistance to COVID-19. Anybody test detects signs in the blood that a person has been exposed to the coronavirus. This is viewed as an important since studies that are have many carriers on the virus show no symptoms at all, as we've discussed. Well, U.S. stocks closed out on Tuesday with a second straight day of gains, buoyed by optimism about gradual reopening of business around the country. The Dow was up about 133, way off its highs, though, for the day. I think it was up about 400 at one point. The president visited a repurposed Honeywell factory in Arizona yesterday, and I think it was an important visual message to the country that we're getting back to work. Dow futures right now are up a couple of hundred. But there's still a lot of uncertainty and volatility in the market, and who knows? Uh, many people are predicting there'll be another dip down to new lows before we start to accelerate and go back up. Scientists have discovered an antibody which prevents the coronavirus from infecting human cells in groundbreaking research, which could lead to the development of new treatments. Bidding on a research in the SARS coronavirus, scientists from Utrecht University of the Netherlands, as well as the Erasmus Medical Center. And a company in Harbor Biomed have identified a potential method of neutralizing COVID 19. They discovered this is an antibody which prevents the SARS virus from infecting human cells, could also block the novel coronavirus from infecting human cells, too. This, according to a peer reviewed study published on Monday. Testing their collection of antibodies on cultured human cells, researchers discovered one which binds to a specific part which is present in both SARS and coronavirus-19. The discovery could offer an initial step towards developing a fully human antibody to treat or prevent the disease. That's really great news. Well, according to doctors in the Association for American Physicians and Surgeons, over 90% of patients treated with hydrochloroquine, uh, successfully recover from the coronavirus. One American uh, Pearson's Sharp report uh, reports this. This, of course, is being downplayed by the mainstream media who don't want some 85 year old malaria drug to dampen the opportunity to try to bring down uh, and uh, discredit President Donald Trump, in my view. Coronavirus, 90% effective, uh, according to the American Association. Of physicians and surgeons. Well, anxi- I found this report from Andrew Glenn, who's a PhD, and uh, James D. Agresti. The title of this is Anx- Anxiety from Reactions to COVID-19 Will Destroy at Least Seven Times More Years uh, of Life Than Can Be Saved by Lockdowns. Medical studies show that excessive stress and anxiety are among the most debilitating and deadly of all health hazards in the world, beyond their obvious effects like suicide and substance abuse. These mental distresses are strongly related to the many that may trigger and inflame a host of ailments like high blood pressure, digestive disorders, heart conditions, infectious diseases, cancer, and pregnancy complications, based on a broad array of scientific data I have computed that the anxiety created by reactions to COVID-19, such as stay-at-home orders, business shutdowns, media exaggerations, and legitimate concerns about the virus will destroy at least seven times more years of human life than can possibly be saved by the lockdowns. Uh, At least 16.8% of the 255 million adults in the United States, or 42 million of them, have suffered major harm from responses to COVID-19, and this figure forms the first key basis of the study. Isn't that amazing? During the uh, interview uh, last night uh, on World News Night on ABC, President Trump stated it's possible that there will be some... He's talking about loss of life because you won't be locked into an apartment or house or whatever it is. But at the same time, we're going to practice social distancing. We're going to uh, go about washing our hands. We're going to go doing a lot of things that we've learned to do over the last period of time. And we have to get the country back. You know, people are dying in other ways, too. When you look at what's happened with drugs, it goes up. When you look at suicides, I mean, take a look at what's going on. People are losing their jobs. We have to get the country back. So basically, his, his comments are, yes, there's risk involved, but you know what? And we're going to lose some life, but we have to get the economy going because we don't do that as the above-published story that I just mentioned also indicates we lose life uh, irrespective and also because of the lockdown of coronavirus. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infant luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. Okay, coming up, we're going to visit with Bob Levy, constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Culture Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards with six full productions this season. But did you know that Gulf Shore Playhouse brings unique theater education programs and opportunities for children, teens, and adults alike? Education is a vital component of Gulf Shore Playhouse's mission, providing programs aimed at enriching the lives of our children, teens, and students of all ages. Each offering provides real-life skills and learning experiences that are invigorating, nurturing, and readily accessible to every member of our community thanks to the scholarships and reduced-price programming for our region's most deserving students, from in-school residencies and pre-professional theater training to community partnerships, audience engagement, and student matinees. The goal is to inspire creativity, encourage self-expression, and support the blossoming of self-confidence, collaboration, and a deep appreciation for the arts. With each passing year, Golf Show Playhouse continues to touch the lives of tens of thousands of students throughout Southwest Florida. Isn't it time that a young person in your life finds out more? For more information about student camps in the Teen Conservatory, visit the website golfshoreplayhouse.org.
0: Welcome back to The Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host. Bob
1: Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And, of course, the season's been shut down. It's over now, but a new season coming up with great education programs this summer. You can check it all out at Playhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell and Dad Professor at the University of Houston. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. As I mentioned before the break, he is a constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Great to be with you, Bob.
1: Thank you, Bob. And remind our listeners about the Cato Institute and what it's all about.
2: We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in D.C., and we're focused on private property, free markets, securing individual rights, and limited government. And on the web, it's C-A-T-O dot org, O-R-G
1: org. So, Bob, we've been uh, raising the question and uh, discussing the question about whether the Supreme Court has subverted the Constitution, the modern-day uh, Supreme Court, since uh, the New Deal and since FDR. We're going to pick up here with the national security and civil liberties, really important question. Uh, have there been recent court rulings on the metadata programs that have been so controversial?
2: Yeah, metadata, again, just to review, is, is this collection of uh, information on who you're calling by phone, um, who, uh, where you're at, uh, how long you talked, everything except the actual content of the call. That's what metadata is. Mm-hmm. And the Court of Appeals up in New York ruled unanimously that the metadata program uh, conducted by the National Security Agency doesn't meet the Patriot Act's requirement that the data has to be relevant to a terrorist investigation. So the NSA was was doing this collection for everybody at all times, in all places. And the Patriot Act said that the data had to be relevant. Well, not every piece of data is relevant. So the Second Circuit ruled unanimously that it didn't meet the Patriot Act's uh, requirement. And and the court also noted that Congress could not have intended uh, such an open-ended definition of relevant. Because Congress didn't even know about the scope of the uh, of the program.
1: Mm. So, tell us about the compromise, which uh, was uh, the USA Freedom Act.
2: Well, we had the um, the conservatives in uh, in Congress. They wanted to extend the act um, as it as it uh, existed, including the metadata program, and also including provisions called roving wiretaps and lone wolf surveillance. We had a Libertarian contingent uh, led by La- uh, Rand Paul, um, allied in this, ca- in this case with some liberal Democrats, they wanted to repeal those provisions altogether.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, uh, most of the Democrats um, and some of the Republicans finally opted for this compromise, the USA uh, Freedom Act. Uh, after a uh, transition period, the metadata would be. Uh, collected and retained voluntarily by the phone companies, not by the government. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the the phone companies already collected uh, that kind of data. Uh, And then the government could query the phone companies to get the data, but they had to get an order from the FISA court, Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act court, and they had to indicate that there was reasonable, articulable uh, suspicion. The roving wiretaps were continued. The lone wolf or surveillance uh, was was continued. Uh, the other provisions were that the these FISA court opinions would be declassified, or if they weren't, uh, it wasn't possible to do that, they'd at least be summarized and released, uh, the summaries released. And then there would be a, a panel of people that would go before the FISA court, presumably to represent the public. Up until then, uh, the FISA court only heard from the government, nobody else. Yeah. So there's a recent update, however, and this happened just a month ago, and that is the Senate refused to renew the metadata program, the roving wiretaps, and the lone wolf surveillance. So as of a month ago, they're all out, and we shall see whether or not uh, the uh, intelligence folks uh, insist that we
1: revisit this down the road. So interesting with a lot of turmoil right now in the intelligence agencies with breaking news. But whatever changes we made to NSA surveillance missions, they wouldn't have happened except for Edward Snowden's disclosures. So, Bob, is he a hero, a traitor, or something in between?
2: Well, I, I guess the main argument against treating him as a hero is that he may have disclosed a lot of crucial information to uh, such uh, bastions of liberty as uh, Russia, China, <laughs> Venezuela, Ecuador. Uh, Nicaragua, Cuba. Those are all countries, by the way, <clears throat> where Snowden applied for uh, asylum. Now, uh, yeah, his, his supporters uh, maintain that uh, his options were unacceptable. That is, either he would keep quiet about the NSA's uh, programs, or he would stay here, and uh, after disclosing those programs, he would have probably gotten about 30 years in prison, or he would have gone to some country that had an extradition treaty, and then he would ended up back here. So I, I think, you know, on the one hand, he deserves our gratitude for uncovering some of this um, abuse. Mm-hmm. And is, looking back on it, it, there clearly was some abuse there. Uh, on the other hand, he um, probably helped uh, Russia, and he may have compromised some vital national security interests. So it's a mixed bag.
1: Yeah. So is there a deal to be made here?
2: Uh, probably not at this stage. Uh, there's a there's an outline for a deal, and that is, he would come home and uh... and agree to cooperate with uh, our investigators. And if he did so, he wouldn't be prosecuted for those things that had already been disclosed to the public. But he would be accountable for anything that wasn't disclosed that he hasn't told us about that would qualify as espionage under the usual definition of uh, of espionage. Which, by the way, is transmitting national defense information with an intent uh, to or a reason to believe that it would be used to uh, the injury of the United States or the advantage of some foreign country. Now, Snowden says he didn't do that, uh, and the government, if he came back, would have the burden of proving that he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, if Snowden's telling the truth, that should appeal to him. But he's not here, so I, I suppose it, it doesn't appeal to him.
1: So, you know, we certainly have a need for uh, national security, and we also, of course, want to protect our civil liberties under the Constitution and our freedom. So as the chairman of the Cato Institute, how comfortable are you with the state of affairs in terms of our civil liberties and our privacy?
2: Well, I'm I'm not uh, um, uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but I do think that there have been uh, a number of areas where, uh, particularly with this Uh, pandemic there have been a number of areas where we need to uh, improve Uh, we are engaged in um, in some cases uh, in some states uh, preventive detention without uh, any uh, finding by a court that there's reasonable cause Uh, and this is supposedly to keep people quarantined sometimes it's justified sometimes it isn't Mm -hmm. Uh, we uh, have seen proposals to engage in contact tracing uh, which would keep track of who you see, where you go, when you do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's that raises some concerns. That contract tracing, by the way, I think uh, could be done uh, properly by only disclosing a yes or no: have you been disclosed? Have you been exposed? Without disclosing such things as who you saw and for how long and where you where you were uh, located. So I'd be concerned a little bit about surveillance that might be put in place in the, in uh, this anti-pandemic program and i'd be a little bit concerned about uh, uh, indefinite detentions without due process um, on the terrorist side i think it was a step in the right direction to get rid of the metadata program mm-hmm. um, first because it was abusive and second because there was no showing by any of the intelligence agencies that the metadata program did very much to stop uh, any terrorist uh, operation
1: Yeah. Bob Levy, again, the chairman of the Cato Institute, I genuinely appreciate uh, your commentary here on the show, Bob. I encourage our listeners to go to the website, Cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. Good to be with you. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa. Changes the direction a little bit. Andrew and I are going to talk a little bit about the uh, Deep State Club He's a uh, former he is a professor at Mercy College and author of of Savaz. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. back to the Bob Harton show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on the board. You can find out about the terrific programs to keep government uh, in place, small, and get people back to work. Uh, FGA.org is the website. TheFGA.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us Andrew Joppa, professor at Mercy College and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. So what's on your mind today? Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: such a, such a wide-open area of, of discussion. A uh, couple of personal comments. Uh, my sister-in-law works at a uh, nursing home in New York. She has asthma, very bad asthma, and they just, of course, transferred into the floor of her uh, unit that uh, serves the COVID-19 patients under the uh, dictates of uh, Governor Cuomo. So here you have this woman with asthma. She has now been forcibly based on retaining her job into constant daily contact with COVID-19 patients at her facility mm. uh, where 14 people have died. So, uh, you know, 30% or, or greater, perhaps 35% of the deaths in New York are uh, seniors in, uh, uh, extended care facilities. And, um, this is, this is where the focus should be as compared to a, a, a general restriction on, on all Americans. That has been made by many, but, uh, in my personal experience with my sister-in-law and her story, it, it seemed to be very pertinent. And another quick story, and I don't think I've ever mentioned this to you. I taught graduate courses at SUNY Maritime College. Uh, all the management courses were, I, I was teaching them down in the city. Ah, uh, perhaps a third of my students were from Communist China. Hmm. Uh, at that point in time, uh, mid '80s on, um, essentially, uh, I, I I talked about democracy, freedom, capitalism, and eventually, eventually, at the Tiananmen Square situation, I had a letter from one of them from Shanghai, and he thanked me for having given them the courage uh, to to pursue freedom at Tiananmen Square. And huh. one of my proudest moments. I, I only tell that not to highlight that story, but to highlight the difference now. Uh, right now, the Chinese students are here in abundance, and in many cases, the members that are teaching them are complicit in anti Americanism and, in fact, uh, derogatory comments about America, and they take those philosophies back, of course, to China. So, uh, just two personal stories one uh, with some degree of pride associated with it, the other my sister in law, but, you know, and I know everyone has their own stories, and those are I thought I'd share with you. Well,
0: thank
3: you um, for that,
1: yeah, I'm sorry. No, so I just thank you for that, uh, Andrew.
3: Um, there are two books I wanted to mention to your to your listeners. Uh, read them recently. It's one of the advantages of being home. I'm doing perhaps more reading than I, than I've ever done. I've always been a big reader. One is a book called Biohazard. It's a book written by Ken Alibek. Uh, Ken Allaback, um Left the Soviet Union in 1992, came to the United States. Uh, When he left the Soviet Union, he was the deputy director of uh, Biopreparat, and that is the uh, Soviet biological warfare program. Hmm. Um, As I read this book, uh, you become sort of terrified at the degree of investment the Soviet Union had in developing in, uh, in in military weaponry uh... built around uh, various diseases particularly anthrax smallpox um, marburg and so forth uh, they had an incident of a release of anthrax at one of their facilities killed a thousand people uh... during that process and i only mention this now because again we're looking at uh, the soviet in the book looks at the soviet union uh... but i have little doubt that there is the comparable type of things going on uh... uh, in china at this point in time and we didn't know about the soviet union's research programs in bioweaponry and i'm sure we don't know we know very little about the the chinese investment in bioweaponry Uh, at the point of that accident that i alluded to with a thousand being killed uh... american the u-s clinical microbiologist said no nation would be so stupid as to locate a biological warfare facility within an approachable distance from a major population center <laughs> and of course of that is exactly what the chinese did they yeah. built their, their wuhan virology laboratories exactly in the heart of well pretty much in the heart of wuhan a major population center so uh the 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 issues have long been identified in terms of the danger uh, this book highlighted uh, dangers beyond even my uh, awareness, uh, and I think it's a book that Americans should read to become not frightened, but become aware of the implications of bioweaponry that are, I'm sure, are being worked on. Another point that Alibek makes, however, is that with the dissolve of the Soviet Union, many of their um, their uh, storage facilities on uh, the bioweaponry were, in fact, moved around into. Uh, other areas of the dissolving Soviet Union, and uh, his presumption is is that there are many pockets of these diseases that are still being retained uh, by a variety of forces unknown at this point. So yeah. th- that's sort of a scary thought, but it seems to be something that uh, we should have greater concern with, Bob. Uh, you, you would, especially if you read this book.
1: Yeah, what's the name and of the, the book, book again? Like, what's, what's the name of that book The name of
3: the book is Biohazard. 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 Very good. Uh, and the fellow's name is Ken alabak That's his anglicized name. His uh, his uh, uh, um, Kyrgyzstan name is uh, Kenajan Alabakov uh, which is not necessary. Uh, but uh, biohazard by Ken Alabak Very good. Uh, an excellent read. This is not some some highly technical treatise that can't be uh, understood. He writes in a almost a novel like form. And uh, I'll tell you what: if Americans want to get a good idea of what this is all about. There's no better source than uh, than Biohazard by Alibac. uh... The other book is a pure novel, but it's so preeminent that it's a book that has only been recently out. I just happened to uh, catch it on its opening day. It's a book called The End of October by Lawrence Wright. The End of October by Lawrence Wright. Uh, basically, he in fact lays out the. Uh, In this novel, the implications in the uh, for economies worldwide and societies worldwide as a pandemic strikes uh, strikes the planet. Now, in uh, the end of October, the pandemic is a far more serious and virulent form than COVID-19. However, what he lays out, and it's extremely well researched and documented from a medical and scientific point of view, he lays out and documents by by precedent the implications of these pandemics as it affects. Uh, as it affects what we're going through, I think the book is important, Bob, because it not only shows where we are now, but I think if we can take to heart, to some extent, his predictions beyond where we are now, I think we can look at some things that that must be considered uh, as we go into the future, Bob.
1: So interesting, and again, again, the name of the book is
3: name of the book, The End of October by the, Lawrence Wright.
1: The End of October. Uh,
3: excellent, excellent read. uh... Well, again, well documented. Uh, and I'll tell you, you know, I would suggest if the, uh, for the average reader, or the average lay citizen, if they're looking for uh, comprehensive information on pandemics, on the history of pandemics, uh, on the implications of these things historically and perhaps currently, uh, I don't think there's a better source right now. As a matter of fact, if I was to suggest that most of the, what we call the medical community or the scientific viewpoint, uh, is so vague, either vague or so varied in its its implication from the time of Neil Ferguson's prediction of 2 million people die into uh, to various claims and right now we can see Bob we can see that the press and much of the scientific community is once again trying to stimulate incredible levels of fear all right uh, uh, I'm not going to say conspiracy, but I will say conspiracy uh, to, in fact, minimize the potential for a uh, economic opening up. Uh, well, I, I that's, certainly, Tr- that's certainly
1: that's yeah, certainly been sorry. the uh, been the theme of uh, of our discussion in, in the opening segment of the show here, Andy. So I do. Well, by the way, so because I don't have any other opportunity to, uh, to recommend this, I, I'm reading *Sapiens* right now, which is an unbelievable read. Way off topic for today's discussion, but I just want our listeners to be aware of uh, what a terrific, uh, interesting book it is. Andy, I want to talk to you about your most recent column, The Deep State Club. Can you stick around? I will be here, Bob. All right. We're going to have more here on The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of The Bob Harden Show here on The Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: As Southwest Florida is impacted by the coronavirus crisis, the organizations that provide relief and support to our community's most vulnerable population are finding their resources stretched. For 32 years, St. Matthew's House has provided food, shelter, and comfort to those struggling with poverty, food insecurity, and homelessness. St. Matthew's House is the only emergency homeless shelter in Kaya County, sheltering more than 300 men, women, and children every night and providing more than 500,000 meals each year to those in need. For those who have shelter but are food insecure, direct assistance is offered through the St. Matthew's House Food Pantry and Grocery Distribution. Donations of food, hygiene supplies, detergent, diapers, and monetary support are needed curbside drop-off is available at St. Matthew's House Main Thrift Store at 2601 Airport Road, South Naples. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization that does not solicit government funding. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org or call 239-774-0500. That's 774-0500.
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I just want to underscore the importance of St. Matthew's House and the great work they're doing in the community. And their businesses now are open. You may be aware they have thrift stores, car washes, all kinds of things. So I'm going to have Van Ellison on the show tomorrow to talk more about it. But, again, go to stmatthewshouse.org. Uh, we, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Professor Larry Bell. Right now, we continue the conversation with Professor Andrew Joppa, an author of Josephus Vaz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Good
1: to be with you, buddy. Andy. So uh, your latest column, very provocative and interesting. It's called the Deep State Club. Maybe you can tell us about it.
3: Well, I I don't know how revealing it might be in my it, 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 in my thesis. Uh, but my thesis, basically, Bob, is that the deep state, which we've heard the word, the phrase used consistently, the deep state is not just some thin veneer that exists within the United States federal government within its bureaucracies. The deep state is the government. Mm-hmm. It is the government. In other words, the the process has become so uh, so deep in its implication, so dramatic in its effect. Uh, that there is absolutely no way to understand the United States government unless we see it within the context of the deep state. I, I also make the, the point that if we cannot escape from that deep state, cleanse that deep state, and again, I don't see it as a veneer over the let's say the FBI the CIA the NSA all the intelligence organizations the the Justice Department I see it as being those agencies and unless they can be dramatically cleansed of the uh... their, their mindset the mindset basically is that they are uh, independent authorities, uh, on their own, uh, forms of action. In other words, they, they are not, in fact, responsible to the executive branch, which most of them function under the executive branch is Donald Trump in this particular case. Uh, they seem to feel that their, their job is to determine the best course of action for America. And independently of law, independently of the directives used by the president or anyone else of legitimate authority, they have the right to operate. And we've seen that consistently, especially with the FBI, but that goes to the CIA and across the wide expanse of the Justice Department, particularly in the coming out of the Obama administration. Mm-hmm. And I would make the point, Bob, basically that one of the reasons that the uh, there's been such a, a, a slow response. The obvious illegalities, and I would say criminal actions of many in in that deep state situation. Uh, The reason that it's been so slow is because many of these uh, investigations will lead and never lead back to Barack Obama. It was during the Barack Obama administration from 2008 to 2016 that really created that deep state that I am discussing. And if we can't escape from it, uh, then in fact, this country will never recover. First of all, let's just take immediately. We will not have a, uh, a timely recover from COVID-19 because that deep state will not let us go uh, back into uh, economic um, performance that is uh, typical for America—they will resist that. I think we can see that now with some of the numbers being constantly released that uh, that are, are there to provoke greater levels of fear and and resistance to opening up. And this this is going to be sustained, uh, and it's going to be a difficult thing to resist because much of it is being activated with uh, the the uh, compliance of that deep state, supported of course by the media yeah uh, so I think we're looking at, in my estimation, we have to start looking beyond covid nineteen right now Bob. We have to start looking at what what will be the other side of this, and uh, it is the other side of covid nineteen that worries me more than covid nineteen itself
1: yeah, I think you're making some great points. you're reminding me that Max Weber, the great uh, sociologist, uh, said that once a bureaucracy is in place it be its sole and and uh, purpose is survival. And uh, so we have this deep sea. I think what you're pointing out is that many people are saying, well, we have a few individuals at the top that we need to uh, sum- uh, punish and to, uh, to uh, reveal what they've done. But it's not that way. I mean, we hear about uh, bureaucrats middle-level middle, middle level managers that are slow-walking issues and, and getting in the way of getting things done because they don't support the changes that we're trying to bring about uh, through President Donald Trump. So uh, it, it is deeply embedded, and it's not going to be solved by just uh, dealing with a few people. Uh, and it, this is one of the reasons why you may recall during the uh uh, during the accusations against the president about uh his conversations with the ukraine officials uh the one guy who who talked about it, he says basically he wanted to change things, and we don't like it. That was the substance of what he was saying
3: yeah you no know, um I, this is somebody in keeping with that, but I know like for example Sean Hannity has consistently said that uh the ninety nine nine point ninety nine point nine percent of the people in the FBI are loyal patriotic hardworking working Americans yeah um that's just not not. Probably true. Obviously, uh, he made that same point with Trey Gowdy as one of his guests, and Trey Gowdy said, Woo, "Wait a minute, uh, <laughs> that's all changed. That is not, no longer a model that we can accept." Yeah. Uh, then the the problem, of course, is how do you? uh... dislodge this how do you dislodge this when they can bring criminal charges against those that uh... that are not part of that each state club as they've done And well, we can see that with with michael flynn but across the board uh... these people have, have activated their power uh... power given to them by by the, the people of america uh... to in fact to, use, to to uh, increase their own power levels and an impact on this society so uh, this is a dangerous situation for America. I think it will become more dangerous as we come out of COVID-19, because there will be elements of what we've gone through over the past few months, and perhaps for the next few months beyond, uh, that the, the deep state will harvest, in a sense, uh, to increase their power and influence on America. And, of course, almost everyone on the left is more than willing to cooperate with the, the total loss of freedom than the... Uh, the, the uh, loss of constitutional protection. So we're in a very dangerous situation. Uh, not again, not so much from the disease itself, but from the immediate implication and, again, the extended implication of COVID-19, as it will be used as a power base for the for the deep state in the future.
1: No, there's no question. We have a pandemic of fear right now, and it's being fed by the mainstream media. It's being fed by the uh, public health officials, quite frankly, who I think they're feeling the sense of, uh, and I, I might be projecting here, but they, they feel this sense of power that, that has almost been missing here for such a long time. So you have people like Fauci and others who stand up and, you know, if we follow the directives of these people and what they say, we our country is going to go down the tubes. We have to get back to work and we have to take risks. So to your point, I mean... it. The best people, the best person to make decisions about uh, you and your behavior is you. You are a responsible, free human being. You can take into account the risks that you're facing right now and go about your business. and each person be, ought to be able to, allowed, allowed to do that. Otherwise, it's not constitutional.
3: And beyond that, Bob, and relating to it, I am the only person I trust. (laughs) (laughs) At this point, with so much misinformation, misdirection, and politicization, I am the only one I trust. Uh, Speaking of Fauci, by the way, it was recently revealed that in 2005, uh, Fauci had uh, explored hydroxychloroquine uh, using azithromycin and zinc, in 2005, with great success. Yes. And here he is, actively resisting this in, in 2020. This is a well-documented, meaningful uh, support for, for people going through COVID-19. Yep. But you can see that this is an artificial resistance being set up. And, and then the question must be asked, if it has been documented as proving its worth in this COVID-19 situation, why would this be resisted so dramatically? Uh, the most, um, I guess, a capitalist type of uh, a suggestion is the pharmaceutical companies are resisting it. I see it more sinister than that.
1: Do I do see you? it as
3: an intent to want to prolong this process to gain the influence as a result
1: of the COVID-19 existence. And I must say that we're in violent agreement, Andrew. Andrew Joppa, again, professor at Mercy College and author of a terrific read-off topic for today's discussion, but it's called Josephus of Oz. I highly re- recommend it. Andy, as usual, just genuinely appreciate your commentary. Thanks so much for joining us.
3: By the way, I love that phrase, violent agreement. I love
1: that phrase. <laughs> <one. laughs> okay, thank you, Angie. All right, coming up, uh, we're going to visit with uh, Professor Larry Bell. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on bobharden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulubee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to bobharden at hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did.
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's watching part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York style theater at its very best. I hope you'll visit the website, GulfShorePlayhouse.org. We have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Professor Larry Bell. He's an endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's written many books. I think seven books now. His latest is so fascinating. I just finished it the other day. Cyber Warfare, Targeting America, Our Infrastructure, and Our Future. Uh, Professor, thank you so much for joining us.
4: Bob, thanks for
1: having me on. Uh, Always a pleasure, Professor. You know, we've been talking a little bit about uh, bio-warfare and what's happened with this uh, coronavirus, but you know what, though? An uh, equally threatening thing that we're not hearing much about is the cyber warfare issue as well, and your book, I think, just clarifies so much uh, the issues that many people are not talking about.
4: Well, I ain't seen you bring it up at this time. <laughs> it seems like we're being, barred, being bombarded with, you know, viruses that are of the electronic... Uh, Nature as well as the biological ones and uh a lot of are, a lot of them are heading this way from China you know as well as russia and so on so it's we live in a very different world and and uh this you know we you know when we look at globalism you know it's it's starting to mean a whole new thing because we can't you know you know we we can't uh separate ourselves by oceans anymore and right and uh it's it's a whole other
1: another world I mean and, uh, you, you know you don't need millions and millions of dollars to build nuclear weapons I mean an 11 year old kid could take down the, <laughs> the infrastructure of the United States I mean, it's just genuinely genuinely very scary right now but I do want to well, change the
4: this stuff off the dark web yeah
1: yeah so I uh, just change the topic slightly because your latest column on point and newsmaxcom is so fascinating it's uh, you've entitled it sorry coronavirus lockdowns won't end climate change you tied the two together Maybe you can tell us about it.
4: Yeah, it's uh you know, it's the same drumbeat, you know, where if it's not the climate if it's not global warming <clears throat> that's the end of the world it's gonna be it's gonna be Trump, you know, and you gotta you know, all the ills of the world either it's either it's either climate change or Donald Trump. hmm And uh I was just commenting uh that you know, Robert Redford and uh, his brother uh Published a, a blog on CNN News recently that was <laughs> that did both, you know that 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 uh, it, it was titled "Trump's coronavirus, coronavirus Failures Offer Warnings and Lessons About Future Climate Change Challenges." So they got it. They got it on one title, you know, and <laughs> they're talking about how his, his lack of, you know, preparedness. uh you know, cause all this, this, this problem, and you say, well, gee, I I thought that, you um, know, I, mean, I thought, I was into the, apparently misguided assumption that it was, that it was, um, the, the World Health Organization that, that basically, uh, gave us the wrong information and, and caused the delays, and, uh, and, uh, um, like but they, one of the aspect, one of the notes in this, in this blog was, well, there's a there's a bright side of this. The Earth is healing because of lockdown. You know, and I thought, well, it's that doesn't give me a lot of comfort. <laughs> you know, that, the, <laughs> <clears throat> that locking down my home is going to save Bambi. You know, I <laughs> it, it, it's a little bit of a stretch. Yeah, uh, that- but.
1: You know, but it's Yeah, Robert Redford sh- should know. You know, because he's actually been a great actor. He, <laughs> the source information about this is is so corrupt and so interesting, indeed. But you know, that's the claim right now. Some part of the uh, the uh, uh, offshoot of this is people are claiming, well, look, there's less CO2 commission uh, emissions into the uh, atmosphere, and so basically, this pandemic, in some ways, is serving a good purpose.
4: Well, you wonder if anyone actually even they believe any of this. Uh, this you know, the, the 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 Trump hatred is just so so incredible. Um, I think at the same time that there's a sense of desperation. I think looking at uh, the candidate they've got to run, that seems to be you know their only you know, logical uh, path forward now is Biden and. Uh, I was just thinking—you'd you know, have to be uh, in a UFO from a parallel universe not to recognize it. You know, to, to try to imagine him as the leader of the free world. You know? right it's, it's, <clears throat> So, I think there's—I don't know. I think you know this. This one hand is this this mania about climate change and uh, people bad. You know, Scott, you were mentioning just a minute ago about Harari's book sapiens and it's and I think a lot of that is the aspect of well we humans are just, you know, screwing everything up. Planet would be better without us and uh, and uh, and of course all you know, the Democrats think the planet would be better without Trump and uh, and then, you know, all of these all of these uh, scenarios it's it's kind of hard to keep up with them
1: right yeah i must admit uh, professor that uh, i think the president is doing an outstanding job right now against the the assault on him from the mainstream media from the deep state from you you name it and uh, he's he's weathering the storm so well and in fact i would i would submit he's actually getting more and more presidential by the month in my view but uh Fortunately, he's dismissed a lot of this stuff, and I think he's ready to get the country back to work and It's high time because quite frankly, I thought of, I think a lot of this stuff has been uh, I'm talking about the coronavirus response. We know this Niall Ferguson guy, apparently. <laughs> He violated his own. He said they were going to have two million people die because of the coronavirus, and he's out you know, visiting his married girlfriend. So uh, he ended up losing his job. My point is is basically this: a lot of the stuff is fabricated, and it's being used as uh, and weaponized against the president.
4: Well, you know, fear is a is a very powerful powerful factor, as is mm-hmm. guilt, <clears throat> and so. I think legitimately a lot of people were fearful because nobody knew what this thing was, you know, and, and nobody knew, you know, how it spread or how lethal it was. And, just, it seemed like it was it just overtaking the world so fast. And so there's a lot of that. And, and I think part of it now is hopefully we're seeing the, you know, the, the, the death rates are much lower, you know, there's more higher infection rate. And, uh, and then hopefully we're making rapid progress as Trump has recently said on maybe having a vaccine by the end of the year and so on. So but I think that the general feeling was A, there's there's no one size all fit, you know, in one size fits all kind of solution that different states and different regions and different counties and different cities have different issues and and my view is is you know We've got to we've got to get the country back, mm-hmm. and uh, and basically, I'm at one of those high at ri- high at risk population groups, and uh, so I've got to cool it for a while and use use extra caution, but. Meanwhile, we got to get the
1: country back. Absolutely. And uh, it, who knows your health better than you? So if you need to self-quarantine, you can certainly do that. But it has turned out that most of the people that have the coronavirus are asymptomatic because they have healthy immune systems, the younger people. We should allow people to assess the risk on their own and determine what they want to do. Just because we open restaurants doesn't mean you need to pick up the phone and call and make a reservation. You cannot go to the restaurant. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. It becomes a voluntary uh, uh uh, voluntary act.
4: Well, we notice, you know, Nancy and I, we notice that uh, we automatically solve, you know, social distance from from other people. Mm-hmm. And uh, not that it's just they have to keep away from us, we we kind of have to distance our way, you know, from them a little bit. It's kind of com- kind of common when I was having a conversation with, my, with one of my sons the other day. And uh, and he kept getting closer when we were talking. I kept backing up, and I said, "Aaron, you understand? You're getting in my space.
1: <laughs> uh, it's too funny. Yeah. Well, well, you know, it's." Uh We'll get through this, but to your point, uh, every day that goes by, every hour that goes by where we don't have economic activity and allow the private markets and the free economy to operate, we are make, it's a destructive act with unintended consequences that could be very, very severe. So I certainly agree with you, Professor. Again, the name of the book, I'm going to encourage you to read, Cyber Warfare, Targeting America, Our Infrastructure and Our Future, just one of the great books. Uh, of uh by professor Larry Bell. Professor, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
4: I always enjoy it, Bob. Thank you so much.
1: My pleasure indeed. Uh and again, uh Scared Witless, The Prophets and Prophets of Climate Doom is another book, great book by Professor Larry Bell. Well that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you'll join us tomorrow. We're gonna visit with uh, Keith Flaw Keith is the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. have lots of education issues to talk about. Seton Motley is the founder and president of Les Government. Dr. George Markovich is my orthopedic surgeon. I had a nice conversation with him yesterday. We'll talk about his vantage point about what's happening with the coronavirus, as well as former Na- mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, will be with us as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs>
0: So much for listening to the Bob Hartman show on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobhartman.com.